good morning, Brookside. It's great to see you this morning. Hope you're having a, a great weekend. If you're our guest here with us today, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you've joined us today. And uh, we do, we just pray that God would meet, <clears throat> meet all of us in this place and that we would just truly leave here having had a, just a real encounter with the God that knows and loves us. Um, I wanted to tell you uh, before we dive too far in this morning about something that's going on among our staff team and uh, just something that I, I'd like you to be praying about. So I want to show you something here. So this is our, um, this is our March Madness uh, bracket standings. And uh, oh, you don't have to put on the big screen. It's embarrassing. Uh, but, so you might notice, I want to bring this to your attention. Please be praying. I need supernatural here. Rob Hockney's in first place, and then I'm in last place, dead last. And uh, anyway, so you know how to pray. I need a miracle. I, I thought I would save time this year, and so I did the quote-unquote expert autofill. Uh, I'll never do that again. Yeah, but here's the thing. Rob's been printing these things, putting them all over the city, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, on to more significant things. Well, hey, uh, this morning we are in part two of our series, our Within Reach series, and uh, I'm really excited for where we're going today. We're going to be in John chapter 17, and uh, it's a powerful text that really has some very, you could say, huge implications um, for us as a church. But before we get there, I want to take your attention to just a few things that are coming up, because in all seriousness, I do want you to be praying about a few things in the next couple of weeks. Um, so before we go we're heading, I, I want to talk to you about just some of the things that are coming up. Melissa mentioned our Easter egg drop. Would you be praying that, that God would do big things? We saw thousands of people come to that last year, and we'll, we know we'll see probably quite a few more than that this year. Um, then the following week, that Sunday, next Sunday, Palm Sunday, uh, Brookside's founding pastor, Steve Moltemeyer, is going to be sharing the message that morning. And so um, I'm really excited for that. You won't want to miss that Sunday. Uh, and then uh, as we approach Easter, we asked this question, just kind of behind the scenes a little bit. We asked this question this year. We said, if we knew, because we know that a lot of people will walk through the doors of a church on Easter Sunday, uh, maybe for the first time or for the only time in that calendar year. And so we asked the question, if we knew that this would be their one and only Easter service, what would we plan? What kind of service would we have? What stories would we tell? How would we make much of the name of Jesus Christ? How would we exalt him and, and really celebrate all that he's done and all that he is and everything that means for us? And then this last question we said was this, who would we want to have sitting next to us? Who would we want to be able to maybe experience the grace of our good God that we've experienced? And so that kind of thinking took us to our theme verse for 2018. And uh, here it is. It's Ephesians uh, 2 or 3 verses uh, 20 and 21. It says, now to him who is able, so it's, it's not about us, it's, it's him, it's Jesus Christ who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I just, I, a gal this week, I was talking to her on Wednesday night. She made my week. She said, you know, this verse, she said, it's impacting my life. It's impacting my faith. It's helping to me, me to think differently about God. And as we think about this verse and the things that God could do, the God of immeasurably more, we're asking these questions. We're saying, Lord, um, who in my life do you want to do immeasurably more in? And uh, what does that look like? And, and so with that in mind, uh, this morning, why don't you take this out? You've got a couple things on your chairs. You've got this card. Go ahead and take that out. You should have a pen that's close to you. And here's what we want you to do. Um, for the next, uh, the days leading up to Easter, our staff is going to be gathering every day at 3 o'clock. 
and we're going to be praying, God, would you do immeasurably more in the lives of people that we know and that we love? And what we want to do is this. We want to pray for the people that God puts on your heart, that you would say, I wish this person would have a touch from God, that they would encounter Jesus Christ in the way that I have. And so would you right now even just take a minute and just write that name, that first name of that person on that card, and we're going to pray again over these cards. Our staff team is, uh, we want to pray with you. We know you're praying for these people, and we want to pray with you. And then you can just, you can leave those cards um, on the tables and in the, in the buckets as you, as you leave. And then the last thing that I want to mention to you as you're kind of writing down those names is this. We also put on your, your chair today uh, one of these invitation cards. It's got a lot of space right up in here above the map. And you could write something as simple as this. Hey, dear so-and-so, I hope that you'll join us. It could be as easy as that. We wanted just to give you a way for you to be able to give uh, the person that you would be inviting something tangible that would explain all the important details. So, um, so please take that today and, again, um, be praying about that. Brookside, I do want to say this. Um, thank you. Um, you're a church that cares about the lives of people. And uh, we see this over and over and over again in all sorts of arenas around this church. And so thank you. It's a privilege to serve with you. And again, we just want to rally together this Easter and say, Lord, if someone would come through these doors for the first time, maybe the only time, how could we so clearly describe who you are and what you do to them, what you could do for them? So yeah, so anyway, that's, that's that. Well, hey, let me, um, let me pray for us now and we'll, we'll dive into uh, to where we're going this morning. So yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you um, for who you are. And um, Father, we just come before you this morning, and we just want to say to you, Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. And Father, we pray that you would do a great work in our midst. Um, Lord, would you do what only you can do. And so Father, even right now, we take these names and we just put them before you. I think of a couple of families that have grown to mean a lot to our family the last several months. And so Lord, I pray for those two families right now. I pray, we, Lord, we pray for all of these names. And we just say, God, would you do immeasurably more in their lives because you've done immeasurably more in our lives, and we're grateful for it. And Lord, now as we open up your word in John 17, we pray that you would lead us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to be looking at this incredible passage in John 17. And it's in one of these passages that the, the context is that Jesus is praying in his final days of his life. Jesus is saying some words that are very important. He's about to face the greatest trial of his life. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to face his death. But before he's crucified, before Jesus goes on, on that Roman cross, he prayed three things. On the forefront of Jesus' mind at a very critical point in his life, there were three things that really rose to the top as he prayed. This is the longest recorded prayer that Jesus prayed. There have been volumes written about the rich content of this incredible prayer. So I want to do this this morning. I want to give you an overview of two of the three of the parts of this prayer, and then I want to dive deeply with you into one of them. So we're going to read it first, though. This is from John chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 20 this morning. So I'm going to read this to you, and then again, we'll dig, uh, we'll dig into these words together. So let's do this, though, just to show our respect and our gratitude for God's word this morning. Would you stand with me? We'll put the words up on the screen, and, and I'll read it to you. So this is Jesus' prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all, uh, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved me and sent, uh, loved me even as you have loved, the, uh, loved me. Sorry. Uh, let me read that again. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Verse 25, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You may be seated. I think this would be true of all of us. If you knew that your time on earth was about up, I bet you you would use your words in a very calculated way. If you knew that your time was about up, my guess is that your actions would be very thought through, that you would be very intentional. Or let, think of it this way, if you had a parent or maybe you had a relative, somebody close to you in your life that you dearly loved, and you knew that their days were, were pretty limited, it would probably impact in a big way the things, the questions that you asked them, but it would also impact how you clung to the way that they answered those questions. I had an incredible grandmother. Um, one of those people that um, blessed my life in a lot of ways, and, and, and since she's been gone, I think I've appreciated her even much, much more. I think that's how that works sometimes. But I still remember one of the last conversations that we had. She was battling cancer, and um, it was hard. She put on the best face that she could, and, and you know, she did her best to bring her A game to her family, but it got tough. And I remember, though, toward the end of her life, I remember one time we were sitting on the, the top of the stairs that led down to this lake where I grew up, and, and I remember her and I had this conversation. And in that conversation, Christine and I had just been married a couple of years, and in that conversation, she said to me, she said, she told me about some of the things that she was praying for me. Now, I have forgotten a lot of memories about this incredible grandmother, but I clung to the words that she spoke to me because I knew that they were some of her last. In John chapter 17, that's the, the, the intensity of the moment, and then some, and then some. Jesus is nearing the end, and he's saying, he's praying some words that he wants us to remember. They're that important, and they're words for us. If, if you're a, a Christian this morning, these are the kind of words that they should really grab us, and they should really shape our lives, and they should shape our actions. For Christians this morning, Jesus is speaking directly to you and directly to me. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I think this text will be helpful for you as well because it's going to give you an idea. What was Jesus Christ's desire for the church? What was Jesus' desire for this growing group of people that would look to him and that would call his name and that would cling to his promises? What was his hope for the church? And so in order, though, to understand where, the, where we're going to end up this morning in John 17, I think we have to understand a little bit of the context as far as what's leading up to this. So let me just kind of fly high here just for a second. In John chapters 13 through 17, this is what we see. It's a significant section in the gospel book of John. Now up to this point in chapters 1 through 12, what we find is this. We see a lot of action. We see that Jesus is healing people. There's a lot of miracles. There's plenty of activity. But when we get to John chapter 13 through 17, it's a different pace. 
with a whole different purpose. It's as though Jesus has gone now from the crowds and he's pulled away and he's just with his disciples and he's telling them some things that are very, very important to him. Things that are near and dear to his heart. Things that he wanted them to have in their minds as he was preparing them to be apart from him. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew he was about to face death. And he wanted these things, though, to be near and dear, to be right on the forefront of their minds as well. And so in John chapter 13, we see this famous passage where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And and he says to them, this is the, the kind of life that I want you to live. I want you to be, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to be humble. I want you to be a servant. I want you to live a sacrificial kind of life. And then we get to John 14, 15, and 16. And Jesus says this, he says, one day soon, I'm going to be leaving you. But when I leave you, my spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to indwell in your heart. And you're going to live in community with me in a way that is so close and so intimate. And so he described what life would be like, what we experience when the Holy Spirit is alive and well in us if we're followers of Christ. And then we get to John chapter 17. And Jesus prays. Now think about this. When you pray, what's on your mind are the things that matter most. If you have a kid that's sick, what do you do? You pray about it. If you have a relationship that's going rocky, you know what you do? You pray about it. If you have something going on in your life that causes you so much joy, what do you do? You give thanks to it. You pray for the things that matter the most, especially if your time is limited. And that's what we see Jesus Christ do. And so in the beginning of John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, he talks directly to his heavenly father. This relationship was so close, so important. And then verses 16 through 19, he prays for the men and the women that were following him closely. Right there in the first century. Those who were right with him. The names and the faces that were right around him. And then after that thing, the first thing and the second thing, We get to this third thing that Jesus Christ prays, and it's for us. When Jesus Christ prays in verses 20 through 26, he's praying for you. He was fast-forwarding. He was looking at the church. He was looking at the people beyond the people that were right in front of him. He was praying for you, and he was praying for me. You know, when I think about Brookside Church, and I think about the legacy that we're going to leave, and when I think about what's God going to think of of what we accomplished as a church and what we were like as a church, this topic that we're talking about this morning is one that I dream, that I pray will be true of us. It is so important to us. It's one of those topics that I believe it's kind of like, it's kind of like the foundation of a home. You might not ever see, if you build a new house, you might not ever see all the work that went into the foundation, but... If there ends up being a crack in the foundation, you'll see the problems. You'll experience the problems. You'll pay the bills as a result of the problems, right? This passage is like that. It's one of those things that's very foundational. You don't maybe understand all that goes into it, but but if it's broken and if it's not there, you really feel the effects of it. And so in John 17, Jesus prays for us. And here's what he prays for. He prays for unity. He prays for unity. Now, even as I say that, some of you might be thinking, that sounds a little soft. I mean, top three, unity? Really? I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, you're going to the cross. Really, you prayed for unity? I mean, why didn't Jesus pray for mission? Why didn't Jesus pray for advancement? 
Why didn't Jesus pray people would experience forget? Why didn't Jesus pray maybe things that would land a little bit stronger in our hearts? Here's the thing. Jesus knew this, that without unity, none of those things would be possible. Jesus knew that if the church didn't model unity, the message of the gospel would be hampered. You know, even as I say that word unity, I want to ask you what comes to your mind. How would you rate unity in our world? One to ten scale, what would you give us? My guess is it might be a little low. Think about your own family. Think about your workplace. Think about your church. How are we doing in the area of unity? How are you doing in your spheres of influence in the area of unity? Look with me at Jesus' words now in in verses uh, 20 through 21. He says this. He says, my prayer is not for them. And he's talking about his disciples. Remember, he prays to God the Father first in this prayer, verses 1 through 6. And then, uh, and then he prays in the next section for the people that are right with him, his disciples, his closest followers, those men and women. And then he prays for us. He says, I, I pray for, uh, I, I, my prayer is not for them, just the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Here it is, so that all of them may be one. So that you and I would be so united that we would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's saying that there's so much tied to this idea of unity. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So I hope unity doesn't sound soft anymore. Unity should sound like, whoa. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, the world will look at you and I and how we relate and respond to each other and those in our city. And they will judge the message of Jesus Christ based on how you and I treat each other. I imagine this, uh, a father or a mother leaving. Imagine that they're about to die, one of them. And I imagine what's going through their mind if they have children. I think at the top of their minds would probably be this. They would want their children to be unified. They would know that if their family name is going to mean something, they would know that if if my last name is going to carry an impact for good, my kids, and this would be top on your radar, my kids, have they've got to be together. They've got to be unified. As I thought about this topic, there were two images that quickly came to mind that helped me understand maybe just an idea of the feeling that Jesus had as he prayed these things for us, the church. And we have three kids, um, 12, 9, and 7. Love them dearly. Now there are times when our kids are getting along. And then there are times when they're not. And I'll be honest with you, the times when they're not are hard. It's hard to watch, isn't it? But then there are times when they are getting along. A couple of weeks ago, they were preparing for Christina's birthday. They were all working on a project together. And it was like, man, I just watched it happen. And I was like, I love this. Unity. They were together, right? But when they're not, oh, it's hard to watch. Sometimes, isn't this true? You hear something on the news or you see something happen in your own life where you see disunity lived out really in a big way, lack of unity. And what does it do to you? How does it make you feel? It breaks your heart, doesn't it? It can help you understand, though, why Jesus prayed what he prayed. And a couple of months ago, Easton, our first grader, he came home and he, he was telling me about someone 
who had been picked on at school. This, this kid had been taunted because they looked differently. And as he's telling me this and describing it and even describing the response of this poor child, I began to, oh, I started getting filled with emotion. I couldn't wait till he stopped talking because I was ready to talk. And because I could just, I could just picture the scene, right? I could just picture the one boy saying it and this other boy feeling this and the other boy's just kind of standing around. And so I said to him, I said, Easton, first grader, I said, Easton, if this ever happens again, I said, you've got to, you've got to come right between that boy and the boy who said it. And I said, you've got to look that boy who's causing the trouble in the eye. And I know you can do this. I said, you clench your fist as hard as you possibly can. And I said, you rear back and you pop that boy in the nose with all the might that you have. And I said, and if I hear about it, and then I said, and we will, I will take you out for ice cream. (laughs) And he looked at me so puzzled, and he said, like, he didn't say this, but he looked at me like, Dad, you need a vacation. Like, (laughs) you need a break, man. I went back to him a little bit later after Christina gave me a renewed vision for good parenting. (laughs) I said, hey, E. I said, maybe my response was just a little bit off. And uh, so I told him, I said, here's what I think you should do. And then I wanted to add, unless God nudges you in another way or unless you want ice cream, you know, or whatever. But I I refrain. But isn't it true? Come on, church. Isn't it true? When you see blatant examples of disunity, doesn't it break your heart? Doesn't it cause something in you to go, that's just not right? Right. Jesus longed for us to be unified because he knew that the world is watching. And he knew that the way that we treat each other, the way that churches treat each other, would mean a whole lot for the message of Jesus Christ. But let's be honest. Unity is not easy. I mean, think for a second about all the things that can divide us. Think of economics. There are dividing lines in our own city, spoken or unspoken. Uh, think of, of race. Let me ask you the question. How many friends do you have that don't look like you? Think of race. That can be a dividing line. Think of politics. Do I even need to say anything? Do you have people in your life that don't see things exactly the same way that you do? Now, unity, we look at our world, and I think my guess is you rated us under five, five or under on the 10 scale. But here's the thing. Unity's always been a struggle. You even look at the pages of the scripture, the apostle Paul, what did he do? He butted heads with a guy named Barnabas. Two godly leaders had a hard time. There was bickering among the disciples. You know what they were talking about? Hey, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who, who, Who do you think? I mean, it was crazy talking, but there was bickering, lack of unity. Philippians chapter four, Paul pleads with these two women And he pleads with them that they would just get along. James chapter 4, talking to believers, talking to the church. What does it talk about? It talks about fights and quarrels among you. Unity, disunity threatens to divide even the strongest leaders in the church. Yet Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that there was a whole lot more at stake with unity than just getting along. Jesus wasn't thinking about just some warm campfire experience where everybody just got along, like Christmas dinner hopes or that kind of, that wasn't what he was thinking about. Look at this, look with me at verse 22. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So 
Look at those words, as we are one. The standard for Christian unity is Jesus Christ's relationship with God the Father. The very unity of the Trinity is our standard. Even in the way that Jesus prayed, he said this. He, he said he instructed us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, the will of God is what? It's unity. God wanted us to have that. He wanted us to, to model that. And then he says, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And the, such a key word, then. If that happens, if you and I model it, then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. There is so much at stake with how you and I treat each other. Because unless the world sees a compelling example of love and compassion and unity and forgiveness, unless the world sees a compelling example of that, they're going to have a hard time understanding and believing the claims of Jesus Christ. They're going to have a hard time believing that Jesus died for us, that he rose from the grave, that he forgives. Those are crazy claims to an unbelieving world. Crazy. And so Jesus is saying this, the world won't believe unless they see something different in the lives of those who have believed. Now that doesn't mean that you don't stand up for truth. That doesn't mean that, uh, that, that Christians don't ever speak out. But it means that behind all of that is this compelling, compelling picture of of unity, of oneness, the standard of Jesus Christ in his relationship with the Father. Francis Schaeffer put it like this. He said, we cannot expect the world to believe that the Father sent the Son and that Jesus' claims are true and that Christianity isn't true, true unless the world sees the reality of the oneness of true Christians. He called it the final apologetic unity. The final apologetic, in other words, the final thing that would help somebody step over the line of faith, he said, would be they would look at the way that believers treat each other. They would look at the church. If you've ever been on a unified team, you know that you get more done. You win more games when you're unified. You can walk into a restaurant and within five minutes, <clears throat> you can tell if the staff is unified. You can just feel it. People act differently. When you're unified, your purpose, your message, your effectiveness goes through the roof. You know that. There's power in it. One commentator put it like this. He said, when followers of Jesus gossip or complain or, ba or backbite each other, it says, he said this, they make Jesus look ugly. Tim Keller put it this way. He said, Jesus, this is beautiful, Jesus is describing a community of astounding love. The honor of Jesus Christ's name is bound up in the, this is important, in the quality of this community. I mean, think about that. Do you have a good friend in this room? Do you treat them well? Is there anybody in this room you don't treat well? Is there anybody, any follower of Christ in this city that you need to embrace. The way that, the way that you do that will speak volumes to the world about who Jesus Christ is and his message. A little earlier in the gospel, Jesus said this. This is so powerful. Chapter 13, he said, a new commandment that I give you. <clears throat> he said, love one another. And then, then he elevates it, raises it up again. <clears throat> he says, love one another 
as I have loved you. Whoa. As I have loved you. In other words, and, and this, is, this is at the heart. You want to be a more unified person? Don't miss this point. He says, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, let the gospel soak so deeply into your heart. Don't forget just how messed up you would be if you didn't have Jesus Christ in your life. But when you realize just how messed up you would be without Jesus Christ, and you experience his grace and his love and his forgiveness, you'll begin to look at people differently. And you'll be quicker to give grace. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another with that kind of sacrificial love, that hard love. But by this, everyone will know. By the way you love each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know what that causes me to say to myself? Jeff, you need to grow up sometimes. You need to be quicker to forgive. You need to let some things go and move on. You need to extend so much love and so much grace. That's who you need to be because you're a follower of Christ. And if you do that, if you model that, and if this community models that, then the world's going to look at this church and other churches, and they're going to go, I want that. I want to know who is at the core of that. And that's the gospel. You know, we're in this series. This is fun to share with you. We're in this series leading up to Easter, but we're not doing this series alone. We're doing this series with, you might know this, you might not. We're doing this series with 40 other churches. Now 40 other, more than 40, more than 40 pastors all preaching the same messages. Just, that's a miracle in and of itself, if you know anything about church world. So that's happening. We're excited about that. There's something happening in our city there were thousands of people that gathered in our city a few weeks ago at the Baxter Arena, and we were all different, but we worshiped the same beautiful, awesome, incredible God that's changed us. And so there's something unique happening in our city. But what you might not know is this, because I, I surely didn't know it. You might not realize just how unique it is. I was talking to a guy this week. He travels the country. He works with different churches. He's our, he's our contact for the Global Leadership Summit. And so he travels the country working with churches, and he's in different cities, and, and he's trying to work <clears throat> through different church networks. <clears throat> he said this to me, and I, I said, man, can you type that out because that's so encouraging. He said this about what's happening in Omaha. He said, there is no other expression of God's big capital C church with the degree of engagement intentionality and clarity that I am aware of in the entire country. Now, I know this guy. He's a respectable guy, credible source, travels the country. He said, I was just sharing with the city gospel movement director at the Lise Palau uh, Association, the foremost global supporter of equipping church uh, city networks. And he said, I was telling her about what is happening in Omaha. He said, she's blown away. She knows of no other city movement that has such an incredible buy-in from such a broad spectrum of local churches. The fact that they are unified and they are committed the way that they are is unprecedented. And it is an example of their deep commitment to reaching new people for Christ. That is a bold vision, intense commitment, and it will reap a huge harvest. John 17, right? Be encouraged by that church. There's something happening in our city and let me encourage you more on that. When you drive by another church in this city, pray for it. If there's an ounce of a competitive spirit in you with other churches, dismiss it. 
If someone's bagging on another church in our city, shut it down. Now these are God-honoring, Bible-teaching churches. But what we're doing is this. We're saying, Lord, if we will come together, the unbelieving world will look at us in the way that we relate to each other, and it will mean something for the power and the furthering of the gospel. The early church, they were getting it so right. Look with me at Acts chapter 2. It says this is what happened to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. So in other words, they were unified. They were unified They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They they were generous. Every day they continued to meet together. Again, they're unified in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what happened as a result? John 17. What did Jesus say? Here's what happened. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because the world looked at them, because the world then experienced the power of God working through them, what happened? The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There are three words as I was just praying, God, what do you want us to do with this message? What do you want us to do with this text? There were three words as I closed that kept coming to mind. Here they are. Be the first. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? What would it look like, church, if you were the first to walk across the racial line? Church, what what would it look like if if you were the first to step into a family relationship that's broken? And I don't mean you dismiss boundaries that have been set up for healthy reasons, if that's your scenario. But what would it look like if you were the first to step across an economic divide? What would it look like if you were the first to reach out to somebody in your workplace that no one else is maybe reaching out to? What would it look like if you and I were the first to reach out to somebody that doesn't line up with us politically? What would that look like? Imagine that. We would look different, and the world would want to know our God. You know, we have a dream as a church to continue to grow and grow at becoming a more and more ethnically diverse church. And let me just say, that doesn't happen overnight, does it? But you know how it does happen? It happens when each one of us, we begin to intentionally take steps and embrace others who aren't like us. And when we do that, we get to be a part of what God is painting, this beautiful picture that the, that the church would look like the city that it, where it is, right? That, that, that when we come together, the economics and the ethnicities of our city would rep- be represented in our place of worship. You know what that is? That's honoring to Jesus Christ. It's also, flip to the end of your Bible, it's also what it's going to be like. Revelations chapter 5, it's this beautiful beautiful picture at the end we will all be together i'm trying to build some intentional relationships with a few pastors in our church that are very different from me and you know what i'm finding it will never happen without a whole lot of intentionality i was just telling tim this week i said that's harder than i thought it would be it takes so much more time than i thought it would it's hard but you know what i would say it's so so worth it. It's so worth it. So let me ask this question. 
where would God have you be the unifying factor? Where would God say to you, I want you to be the first? I want you to step across that line. I want you to embrace a person that's not maybe just like you. I want you to be the unifying factor. And as you do that, and as we do that, and as we say, you know what? We're going to love each other well in this place. You know what the world's going to say? They're going to say there's something different about that. And Jesus Christ, remember, these were his last words before he went to the cross. These were so important to him because he knew if my church will be different, if my church will look different, they truly will be a city up on a hilltop. They truly will be a light that the world will see. And so I want to pray for us now. And let's just pray, Lord, would you help me to be the first? Because church, imagine a community. Imagine a workplace. Imagine a home. Imagine a church where unity isn't something that's just kind of a soft value. But unity is something that is strongly evident. And as a result of it, the mission goes forward so, so quickly. So yeah, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now. And Lord, we just want to ask, would you help us be the first? Lord, would we be the kind of people that we are the quickest to step across any divide, any lack of unity in our lives? Lord, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's in our neighborhood. Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, might we model this unity that you had with the Father so that the world may know. And Lord, we know that that will only happen if the message of the gospel penetrates so deeply into our hearts, Lord. And so even right now, we just pray, Lord, would you help us to think about the fact that we've been loved, that we've been called, that we've been forgiven. And Lord, might one day you look at your church, might you look at this church, and you would be so proud of the legacy that we've left because we came together, because we were a unified group that longed to honor you. And so, Lord, even right now, we just lay before you. And church, maybe you have that one person on your mind right now. Maybe you have that one instance on your, your mind right now. That place where you need, to, you need to step across. You need to be the first. And so would you even pray right now and just kind of just lay that before God. And would you say, Lord, I just give you this situation. Lord, I want to be more like you. And so, Father, would you give me your grace? Would you sustain me? Would you lead me? God, would you help me be the first? at painting this beautiful picture of what you dream for your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing.